Hello and welcome to The Disciples Quest. My name is Justin. I'm Will. And today we are speaking to you guys about Romans chapter 3. I can't wait to get into this topic. Uh, there's a lot to say here. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. The words of Paul are always interesting. Um, but before we get into the podcast for today, William, how did your week go? I guess it was been two weeks now. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks for recording this super late, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been good, I guess. It's been pretty good. I went on a men's retreat on Did the you? weekend. Yes. Um, you wouldn't know anything about that, would you, Justin? I don't know. I don't know anything about it's that. It's not like you were literally with me on oh. the van trip all the way there and back. Oh, yeah, yeah. We went to a men's retreat. Yeah, it was a very good men's retreat. They talked about the um, virtues of manliness that I've already forgotten. So that was... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, the virtues were... Temperance, prudence, justice, and courage. But yeah, so all good virtues. Um, I'm not entirely certain as to why those are man-specific. They seem like virtues that women should also practice, so that kind of confused me. But well, I what think, are your thoughts? I think those are virtues that women should also have. I think the angle was men have a specific role. And certain traits might be emphasized more for men than women. Oh, yeah. I, and courage is the obvious one that most people would think of. Not saying that women shouldn't be courageous. Women should be courageous. Well, that was my kind of like theory, too, was that it's not that both genders shouldn't have these virtues. In fact, both genders should probably practice all virtues. But it's more important for men to have virtues. So an example, it's more important for men to have courage because they have to protect the family. Mm-hmm. It's more incur- important for men to have a sense of justice because usually they're the ones that have to assert themselves in that's in those kinds of situations and now I'm, there's going to be someone like angrily like slamming on the keyboard about how women have to be have a sense of justice because they worked in a daycare and they had to do something justice or whatever anyway i'm butchering this no i i know what you're saying but <clears throat> it's important to know that the bible is very clear that men and women have very important roles very different roles mm-hmm. and uh but anyways, this this men's retreat was 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 great fun. Uh, I got to meet a lot of new people and had a lot of great conversations, uh, interesting biblical conversations, and yeah, just being out in nature too is obviously it's always something special. Even though it's only white shell for those who know uh, Manitoba, um, I mean it's beautiful out there. But just taking that canoe out to the middle of the lake, uh, the reason why I told you that we had stopped, why you guys got so far ahead, is because I'm like, guys, stop rowing for one second. Let's just take this in. And I just sat there. I'm like, man, God, you're a cool guy. All right, let's keep going. Because <laughs> just something about something about the beauty of nature. I'm sure the vast majority of people can uh, can relate to it. Um, but yeah, and then yeah, just the well, it was interesting, right? Because it was a it's a movie retreat. And the first time I heard that, I'm like, what's a movie retreat? That I'm not really a movie guy. I watch like five a year. So I was like, I'm not sure if I even wanted to go, but I'm like, just the fact that I saw that there's going to be canoeing and everything, I'm like, okay, I'll go because of that part and because a friend invited me. But it was better than I expected. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was interesting that I never really thought about watching a movie and trying to take, like, what kind of morals might this movie be teaching me? I kind of have always just watched movies just to watch them. Hmm. So it was kind of fun to analyze the movie. I've never really done that before. That's funny. Me and Emily do that all the time. Every time we watch a movie, afterwards we analyze it, break it apart, and talk about what it teaches and what are like the message behind it and everything. Mm. Uh, it's just like a fun thing to do. Yeah, no, it definitely made it more fun, and I couldn't, I couldn't believe how much that we all extracted from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was great. I, I loved, I loved that week. Yeah. All right, starting at verse one, reading till eighteen. 
Then what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First, that they were entrusted with the actual words of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Far from it. Rather, God must prove to be true, though every person be found a liar, as it is written, so that you are justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The good, the God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking from a human viewpoint. Far from it. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as we are slanderously reported and as some claim that we say, let's do evil that good may come of it? Their condemnation is deserved. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, There is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and they have not known the way of peace. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow, okay, let's get into this. So the first section says, Then what advantage does a Jew have, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Yeah, Paul often will, like, his style of writing will be to predict an objection or a question that someone's going to have, and then go on to explain it. So that's just something. Mm -hmm. I don't really have much to say on that. Other than like he's going to explain afterwards. So he's just basically asking the question or he's predicting an objection someone might have because he just basically said there's no difference in the previous chapter between yeah. Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, there's no partiality with God. Yeah. And so then. So then why did he choose them then? He's like, well, what's the advantage of even being a Jew if there's no part, if he's not partial to either one? Yeah. He's like, what's the, what's the point of circumcision? Yeah. It's like, why even do it if no one else is doing it? Mm-hmm. And so. He's going to explain that next. Yeah, and then he says, first, that they were entrusted with the actual words of God. Great in every respect. First, that they were entrusted with the actual words of God. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons. Why is there an advantage to being a Jewish person? Uh, Well, yeah, because the whole question was, well, there's no partiality with them, so, but why, well, why are they his chosen people then? Well, the Bible is pretty clear. I mean... They stand out because they were entrusted with the oracles of God, is what it says. He chose their people to give his... The holy book was going to be used through the Jewish people. And their yeah. land, the Israel was going to be used for his glory, and his the whole story was going to be t- told through Israel. And his people, the Jewish people, were, would be used for his miracles, for his promises. So he chose them very specifically with a with a purpose yeah, and in history. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that his relationship to them, well, in a way, actually, his the relationship that he has to them is special. Yeah. But it doesn't mean his judgment's going to be any different, right? It just means that we've been chosen for, they've been chosen for a very special task, and um, they actually bear a little bit more responsibility than the rest of them, right? Because they were given God's word mm-hmm. from the beginning. Um, 
So it's like it's like you have kids and you're not partial to any of them, or you try not to be at least right. right. Um, but you might give one of them because of maybe some attribute that they have a special task or responsibility. That doesn't mean you're going to judge them any differently, though. At the mm. end, it just means that you've entrusted them with something. So I think what he's trying to say here is that what he had just finished saying is that, well, all of you have fallen short of the glory of God and there is no righteous person, uh, which we're going to get to a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's saying that, yeah, no one here, like everyone has fallen short of my standard. So then the big wall, then why do you even say that we're special? Then like, what's the point of being a Jew? And he's like, wait, 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 hold on. I clearly gave you a very specific purpose. I entrusted you the word of like my, my word would be told through your people. I can't think of a, I can't think of a more special objective than to be the ones that the word was going to be passed through. And he gave you the oracles, right? He gave you the, the law would be told through you and his stories would be told through your people. So yes, we've like, we're the same in the fact of none of us meet his standard, but the Jews stand out in the fact that they he yeah. gave a very specific, special uh, objective. Well, and even more than that, like they also objected, or he's also addressing the objection of circumcision too, right? So what I get mm-hmm. out of the whole, what's the point of circumcision is, why even practice it? And he's like, well, I probably practice the law if um, if he's not partial, he's not going to judge any differently at the end of the day than anyone else. What's the, what, why practice it? And it's like, well, because... Well, you were given the law and commanded to do so um, because he needed you to, he bore upon the the Jewish people the responsibility, like you said, of carrying God's word and of carrying on his oracles, carrying the seed of Christ, right, Um, to bring the Savior into the world. And the reason why those traditions are important is because um, actually, you know what? I'm not entirely sure why all of them were important. Some of them were to have them set apart. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of them were to demonstrate, you know, it will say later, to demonstrate that people are imperfect and all these kinds of things. And why circumcision is important is because um, it's basically, well, it's their way of saying we're following God mm-hmm. in the way that we do baptism. Yeah. So these traditions are very important. Yeah. And but, a lot of them, too, are just to show um, honor and glory to God is some of the things yeah. that they do, like the sacrifices and, and stuff. Yeah. And that's important in any culture. We all have our own way of doing it, but. I think traditions and rituals are important. And I heard something interesting when I was talking about the Jewish people, and uh, today I was listening to a sermon on Romans 3, and he was saying like how the Jewish people were given the law, and he said, well, what, what benefit was it that he gave them the law? Well, what he did is he gave them the knowledge of sin. So he, he gave them the knowledge to know what is right and what is wrong, where not everyone was given that. The people that weren't given uh, the Mosaic laws and the Ten Commandments and stuff didn't have that same knowledge of sin. So that's why he said the Jewish people were chosen for that reason. They were given the ability to know uh, what is right and what is wrong through God's uh, with, with what God had impl- had planned for the world. So I think that's quite important and I think, that's, I think it's good that Paul points this out. And so next it says true, some of them were unfaithful but just because they were unfaithful does that mean God was unfaithful? And so that was the NOT. That was the NOT. Um, the NASB says a little bit differently, but essentially says the same thing. Basically says, um, does the unbelief that some people have nullify the faithfulness of God? May it never be. Rather, let God found true 
through every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Hmm. So what does he mean when he says, let God be true, but every man a liar? Uh, and that Nltheus says, of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. Okay, so we have to kind of refresh ourselves, uh, remind ourselves what that might be saying. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Will, but how I read that, it's kind of saying that every man's opinion is that. It's a man's opinion. It's biased. It's flawed. And sometimes it's right, but it's usually not. Where God is objective truth. So... Like it's like uh, we just read, if every human being on earth said that God is wrong about something, that doesn't make it true. Just because even if everyone believed it, that's not what makes something true. What makes something true is what God says, because God is the ultimate objective. Well, God is the ultimate truth. So man, man is not the one who decides what right or wrong is. It's God. Yeah, that reminds me of a quote I once heard. If 50 million people say a foolish thing, it's still a foolish thing. Hmm. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many people say it. Right. Now it sounds like common sense. And that was that was a quote. I just looked it up. Uh, never heard of the guy. Apparently he's a French philosopher. Um, and his name is literally Anatole France. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's basically what it's saying, right? It's like, oh, no, only God is 100% true all the time. So just reading from verse 5. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God... What shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking from a human viewpoint. Far from it. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let's do evil that good may come of it. The con- their condemnation is deserved. Hmm. Should we shin more so grace may increase? So, base, yeah, exactly. Basically, can we can we be justified in our sinful acts because good might come from them? Should we just look at the end product, basically? Like, well, I did something wrong. I lied. But in the end, it actually benefited this person because uh, although I didn't tell the truth, this person's happy. Well, no. Our intentions, like, the intentions don't matter. What is What matters is what is right and what is wrong. And God made it very clear that lying is a sin. So even if our intentions are to help somebody, if you're still sinning, it's still wrong. Um, and, and so it doesn't matter whether it's for selfish reasons, if it's for envy, it's for anger, it's for it's for lust. That doesn't matter. And yeah, God may use our hard times or bad moments and turn them into his good, but that does now not make our bad actions good actions. Right, yeah. I do like how he had to say that this is merely a human point of view because people are foolish. And this is just the kind of thing that people would use to justify their sin. It's like, well, then I should continue sinning, right? Right? Mm. Eh? Eh? Well, exactly. Like, would you really think about someone that you care about and would you tell them to commit a sin in hopes that God might flip that into his good? Yeah. It's is like, that well, good advice? It demonstrates how amazing he is. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. God, God is how righteous he God is. is amazing. God's all powerful, but he's also just and he's going to punish us if we do wrong. Yeah. Despite the outcome, just because God might turn that into something good. Well, you know, if God uses it for his good, then we're all good in the end. Yeah. So and let's not, just go ahead. You can't just commit endless amounts of sin 
with the idea of like, oh, well, God would just forgive me in the end. And, and it would just demonstrate even more grace. You know, in James, it talks about if you're actually a Christian, then you'll bear good fruit. So if you bear nothing but bad fruit, you're probably not a Christian. But anyway. And also don't test God. Don't uh-huh, think, yes. well, God's, God's ever forgiving, so that will justify my actions today. And no, uh, like we fall short every day. Everyone does. And God forgives us when we do. But there's a difference between that and thinking that we are somehow righteous in his eyes by our unrighteousness because we feel like God will forgive us. Yes, God will forgive us, but your heart matters and your intention matters. And that is wrong intention. And God will obviously see that since he is an all-knowing God. He's going to know what you are trying to do. And you can't, you don't get let off the hook. Do you feel like Paul is being a little bit sarcastic here? I, mean, I, think, just like, I think he is. But someone must do, might argue. Like, first of all, that wording. I mean, it's not how it words in the NESD, NESB, but um, but in the NOT it says, but someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness, truthfulness and brings him more glory? It's like, I wonder if part of him was like, do I really need to put this in here? And he's like, yeah, I probably should. So Because there are going to be people that do think this. Yeah, He's like, yeah, someone's going to take my words and be like, ah, see, sin even more. And then what's the last thing that he says? Their condemnation is deserved. If that's what they, if, if that's how they think, well, then guess what? God, God will. Let's do evil that good may come of it. Yeah, their condemnation is deserved. Okay, so starting in verse nine, what then are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. They all have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and they have not known the way of peace. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Yeah, what I get out of this is that this kind of does away with like the whole concept of Christian perfectionism, which is it's a minority anyway, actually. I think I talked about a little bit about it last time, but it's basically the theological perspective. Um it refers to the belief it's a theological perspective that through the work of the Holy Spirit, believers can attain a state of complete sanctification and moral perfection in their life. So this is actually <clears throat> something that I heard Mike Winger talk a little bit about. Hmm. Uh, he was quoting a story that Spurgeon made in one of his books. We actually did come across someone who believed in Christian perfectionism, and he was at he went to his church and he basically claimed that he no longer sinned. He said he reached the perfect state of Christian perfectionism, and now he no longer had any sin in his life. And so that really? morning they're doing a men's breakfast. And Spurgeon walked over to his table where he was eating and dumped a glass of milk on his head. And then he started, he stood up and started swearing at him. He's like, oh, it's nice to know you can still sin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. That's such a... like. What's the definition of it again? Arrogant? No, Christian perfectionism? Yeah, Christian perfectionism. Yeah, what's the definition of that again? Oh, Christian perfectionism is a theological belief. Uh, it's a perspective that is held by certain Christian traditions throughout history... They generally refer to the belief that through the work of the Holy Spirit, believers can attain a state of complete sanctification and moral perfection in their life. 
His view suggests that it's possible to live without committing willful sin and to perfectly love God and others. Hmm. Yeah, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Uh, it's what one of the verses in Romans that they use to justify is in Romans 1, um, when it says basically it's through works that you are sanctified, that you would be right with God. Um, now, he was just make, basically saying a point. He's like, you'd have to follow the whole law perfectly. Oh, right, People right. would use that to say, ah, see, it's works, and so that means we can be we sanctified can through works. Yeah. Um, but following that, the law specifically is what the right. verse referenced. And he's like, so if we follow the law and are perfect in every way, then we can achieve. But then if they kept reading in Romans, they would read this part that says, there's no righteous person, not even one. If there's no read, one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. They've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. Like, And then it goes on to give tons of examples. Right, and so what they would argue is that there's it's it's using all past tenses. He's like, everyone has sinned, but you can achieve a state where you'd no longer sin. I see. Um, so, I mean, there's also plenty of verses in the Bible that basically says where, you know, I mean, Paul says he's, I'm a wretch and he's like, and I'm a slave to my sin and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not really sure how they justify it. Yeah. Cause to me, when, when I read this, it, to me speaks to us. It's not past tense. It's saying that by nature, there is no one, it says there's no one who seeks after God. So when I heard that. I, at first, I was like, well, what do you mean? They're, I seek after God. Well, by nature, we are, we are selfish, and we desire what we want. Right. By nature, we do not desire what God has planned. So yeah, that's right. it takes having the Holy Spirit, meditating on him daily, and following his word to seek after him properly. Yeah. And we want what's best for us at the end of the day, what's most convenient in the time. That's right. What provides temporary satisfaction. That's what we want by nature. And that's what this is saying. Is it saying that... There's no one righteous. There's no one who understands. There's no one who actually seeks God. They all turn aside. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. Uh, their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. They're like basically humans are destructive creatures. And in the end, the very last verse says, There's no fear of God before their eyes. And the concept of the fear of God took me quite a long time to understand. It took me years to understand the concept of fearing God. It just doesn't it just mean like a very high respect and sake like holding him sacred and things? Yes, but for me it was just hard for me to separate what my knowing of the word fear was. Because I was like, wait, what do you mean? I shouldn't be scared of God. It was really hard for me to understand that concept of fear of God. Same as the jealousy of God it took me a long time to separate that idea. But by nature, we are destructive and we are selfish and we are sinful. And left our own devices without the direction of God, without his moral code that he's given to us through the Bible, without his word, we fall short. Yeah. The Jews were given the word. And the funny thing is that just because you were given the word doesn't mean you're going to follow it. Being given the word by given, by given the, the law, all you're given, like I said earlier, is just the knowledge of sin. You still need to believe Christ in your heart in order to be changed. You need to be changed within. Just yeah. knowing what's right or wrong doesn't actually save you, is what he's said many times to the Jewish people. You guys know the law, and you guys try to follow it, but you don't follow it. So because you've, you've fallen short, you even if you tried to follow the law, you don't. Yeah, that's right. So because of that, you need a Savior to yep. save you of those sins. Because the proper punishment of doing wrong is death. And we all are deserving of that. Every single person on earth is deserving of death for the sins that you've committed. You don't deserve grace. It's something that he was willing to give us because he's so loving. 
That's right. And it says that that's a real thing that actually proves Christian perfectionism wrong to me is that if you read on, it talks about the gift of grace being salvation. It talks about even in this uh, chapter about how it's through faith that we're saved and it's not by works. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm not really sure yeah. where they get that from. It's it by seems, grace you are saved through faith, it not, seems of, really not of works, lest any man. Bo- yeah, it says by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man boast. Right. It's so, by your faith that we are saved. Yeah. And it's not, the faith is not just some knowing of Christ. It's a change of the heart. It's and, a commitment to Christ. And I feel like, like Paul says, I'm a terrible wretch and all this kind of stuff. Like if, he, if anyone was able to reach a state of Christian perfectionism, why couldn't he do it? Or any of the apostles for that matter. Because he was pretty bad sinner in his past life being Saul. Yeah. Uh, he did a lot of naughty things to Christians. Yeah. And I, I'm just saying like they believe in Christian perfectionism. Why couldn't? The very people that walked and ate with him every day reach it, and like yeah, the greatest examples of the greatest examples that we can look at in the Bible that God chose to send His message through, they still fell short. So yeah. if they all did, then don't we all as well? Yeah, exactly. And uh, it actually talked about um, something I wanted to talk about a little bit. What is it mentions here the venom of asps is under their lips, uh, with their tongues that keep deceiving. Yeah, so. Asps are snakes that are found in the Nile region, also known as the Egyptian cobra. And throughout the dynastic and Roman Egypt, uh, the asps symbolize, uh, is actually a symbol, it symbolized loyalty. And they would use their venom to execute criminals who they thought were deserving a more dignified death than normal execution. I'm not sure why that was, since the venom would like cause your organs to shut down and be very painful and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, whatever. Mm. If you are a dignified criminal, I guess that means you just have a more painful death. Because that makes sense. Okay, yeah. So one of the verses it says is that uh, their throat is an open grave and their tongues, they keep deceiving. And what William read, the venom of snakes or asps is under their lips. Li- their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. A lot of focus on the things that we say. It's almost like our words have impact. Another verse I can think of is in James chapter 3, verse 8. It says, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And in Ephesians, we read, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So, And there's many other examples that we saw. Colossians 4, verse 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how ought to answer each person. So the things that we say is extremely important. Uh, yet what we saw was when we go about denying Christ and uh, naturally we're unrighteous. So the things that we say, we curse, we're bitter, we're deceitful, we lie. These are all things that are natural of humans. And yeah. our words are much, much more important than I think we sometimes realize and uh that's why I think one of the best verses to remember is James one nineteen, which says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I especially like that slow to speak one. Uh, growing up, there were so many times where my dad and I would be talking, and I'd start to get upset. And I'd, as soon as he finished my sentence, I had an answer right away to answer him. And it, I actually wasn't listening to what he was saying. I was just preparing my next response. Yeah. And then he says, Justin, you are not being quick to hear. You're not being slow to speak. And you're getting angry. It's that like, um, I know exactly what you're talking about, where you're not even trying to understand, you're not trying to get the information 
that he's trying to relay into your head, what you're actually doing, if you're listening to him at all, is to trip him up in his sentences. Yeah. And like to get a gotcha. Yeah, basically trying to get gotcha. He's like, well, you said this, but you said this earlier. It can't be that. And then, yeah, exactly. And I'm just playing semantics. I'm not actually listening. But my problem is that I was not being intentful with my words. I wasn't being intentful with, with my understanding. I wasn't, I wasn't understanding him at all. I was just waiting to say what I wanted to say. And I think it's because pride gets in the way. Uh, so that's a natural human instinct that this points out. And another one that says their feet are swift to shed blood. Do we not see that, especially in the last uh, couple centuries of human history, uh, how much bloodshed there's been in the, la- what, in the World War I and World War II, how much bloodshed there was, how many millions and millions of lives were lost in the Soviet Union how many tens of millions of lives in Mao's China and all these examples we see across human history, uh, Pol Pot and, and North Korea today and Venezuela, all these examples of shed blood. That's the natural human inclination, survival of the fittest. We want, we want power. We think you're inferior, so you don't, you don't deserve to live for whatever reason we think we can justify. That's the natural human inclination. Destruction and misery are in their past. They have not known the way of peace. Humans aren't inherently peaceful. We want to take over. We want, we want what you have. We want that to be. We want that for our, ourselves, uh, which we read in in the Ten Commandments in multiple spots. While it says, "Do not murder, do not covet after your neighbor's wife, and over his land and things that he has." Yet yeah, that's what we all do if we if we were left to it. Even if we were just plopped in the middle of a field. And I saw William way over there, and I'm over here. Something in my human nature, if I wasn't listening to God, to say, you know that stuff that William has? I kind of want it for myself. That's what I would naturally want to do if I didn't know God. And then the last part of this, it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Yeah. So they see God and just go, I don't care. He's Yeah, he says he's powerful, but that, I don't believe that. Yeah. You don't understand his power. You don't understand what he can offer you. Well, it's turning away from righteousness itself because that's what God is. And yeah. That's what, you know, it's something that I actually had trouble understanding. It's like, how do you not, how can you, can't you, Um. something I had trouble wrapping my head around was like, why can't you, not follow God, but to just be a righteous person. And he's like, well, because God is the manifestation of absolute righteousness. And so you can't, he is perfection, right? And so if you're trying to aim to be perfectly righteous, you're going to end up at him. And if you're not aiming at him, if you don't want that, then you're going to be aiming off the mark. You're mm-hmm. going to miss. Yeah. And so, um, so you're turning away from the perfect manifestation of of righteousness and compassion and love and all that kind of stuff. It's like that's what would get you there. And so to have no respect for that at all, to not fear it. I mean, you're going to destroy yourself in the end. Yeah, which it's is only what ultimately you. happens, right? Yeah, you're just hurting yourself in that. And you can also hurt people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this was a great section to read. Um I loved reading this, and I can't wait to read the rest of, of Romans because, of course, we've got the a famous verse in this next section, which we will definitely want. I definitely can't wait to break that down. Um, but I think that'll be it for today. So thank you, everyone, for listening. 
I'll do a quick prayer and then William will send us off. Dear God, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for giving us your word. God, thank you so much for your forgiveness and thank you for your demonstration to us through Christ of how to live like a righteous person. Help us to seek that example every day and help us to, to be more like Christ. Help us to understand that we have fallen short of your glory and that we're in need of your forgiveness and that we're in need of your grace. And God, we thank you so much for that gift that you gave us, although we undeserved, although we didn't deserve it. Thank you for that, God. And be with every person listening today and the rest of the week. Amen. Amen. That's all I have time for today. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. We have a website, DisciplesQuest.net, where you can find all the Disciples Quest activity aggregated. It's, always, it's also where Emily releases her blog every second Wednesday, so be sure to check that out. We have a contact form there. As, we also have a contact form there where you can use to reach out to us on. And you can also reach out to us on the following forums, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. And please send us your questions, criticisms, stories, or requests. If you'd like to support this podcast, then prayer is always a good option, and we sure... And we certainly can't get enough of that. But Patreon is the best financial option for support. Speaking of which, shout out to our Patreon subscribers, Brendan and Darlene. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And may God guide you in your quest to become better disciples. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>